Greetings to you, friends, community of Restoration Church. So glad that you're joining us again on another Restoration Church Life podcast. This podcast is brought is brought to you today by Jesus Christ, the Word that became flesh. He took on a body and dwelt among us so that he might lay his own life down uh, in order that he might take it up again in the resurrection, that all those that repent and believe on him, they might have eternal life, both body and spirit. This Church Life podcast is brought to you by that Jesus. Well, welcome to another Restoration Church Life podcast. We exist uh, in order to inform and inspire the community of Restoration Church to make disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ here in Washington, D.C. and beyond. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, This is the podcast that some of you have spoken to me about, and it's finally come to fruition. Here it is, the one, the only, I'm going to make sure and say it right, Donai Engelbrecht. Did I say it right, Donai? Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) All right, so this is a a special podcast. So uh, we are going to create two podcasts out of this because Donai's life is just that big to talk about. And so God, she would want you to know from the very beginning, don't you Donai, that this is not about Donai, this is God's grace in Donai. So we're not celebrating Donai as such, we are celebrating God's grace through her. But Donai, you have a very interesting life. God has done amazing things over the course of your life and uh, you are soon to leave us. And so we wanted to make sure and capture your life Uh, so that the community of Restoration Church would have a better appreciation for all that you've been through so that we could be thankful even more for you. And so, um, welcome. Thank you. Good to have you. you. So we're going to start at the very beginning, and we're just going to walk right on through. And so, uh, so first off, give us your full name. (laughs) That's Donai Emesha Merai Horvath Engelberg. Wow, say that one more time, a little bit louder. Donai Emisha Merai Horvath Engelbrecht. Woo! More shy? Merai Horvath was my maiden name. Okay, very good. Merai and where and when were you born? Yeah, I was born in Zurich, Switzerland, and uh, in 1950, so that makes me 71 already. Mm. <laughs> and um, yes, my, I was born into a very interesting family. Um, my father, um, was Hungarian and my mother was Swiss and uh, the interesting thing there is that uh, my father grew up in Hungary of course and uh, but when the communists came um, he of course wanted to escape communism and go to a free country and the way he did it was that he skied on the uh, Olympic team of, of, the, of the Hungarian ski team hmm. And so uh, in 1948, uh, the Olympics were held in Switzerland, and he thought, this is my chance. Mm. And so with the team, he went uh, into Switzerland and uh, competed and got third place no in downhill. Kidding. He got a bronze medal? Yes. In uh, downhill skiing mm-hmm. for, yeah. for Hungary? Yes. What was his name? Um, Laurent Merai Horvath. Wow. And um, then after the Olympics, he decided to stay. Uh, in Switzerland and not go back to Hungary, which was difficult at the time because 
Um, when the communists um, heard about this and, and knew about this, they threatened uh, my father that they would uh, harm his parents. Mm -hmm. And so he was very worried about that, but he did get word through close friends who knew that that was just an empty threat largely. Mm. They oh, did good. not harm his parents. Good. So he stayed in Switzerland and met my mom uh, who was taking a course in English at the time. Okay. And so they both uh, got together and um, yeah, and uh, my sister was born and then I was born in Switzerland and uh, then we moved to Canada actually because the work opportunities for my dad were much greater. He was a mechanical engineer and they were much greater in Canada okay. at the time. So we moved to Canada when I was about four years old. Okay. And uh, I grew up in Canada until I was what part of Canada? 11. It was Oakville, Ontario, okay. Canada. Okay, yeah. And uh, enjoyed life there very much. We lived in a small cottage. We didn't have much money. Uh, right next to Lake Ontario okay. and Lake Ontario is amazing because not only is it huge like an ocean but it has cliffs where there are um, uh, caves in the cliff wow. and I remember my whole street um, growing up uh, there was uh, all boys my age mm. no girls all boys <laughs> so you can imagine what a tomboy I was yeah. we used to go and play cops and robbers and Indians yeah. and pirates and everything were they nice to you in oh yes okay good. oh yes they yeah. accepted me completely yeah and uh, we had rope swings that swung out uh, past the cliffs and and wow. we went inside the caves and with candles. And Man, will they do that today, you think? I don't know. No, probably not. <laughs> a lot of probably quote-unquote dangerous stuff going on in those exactly. days, but you made it through. Yeah. Now, back up a little bit. So you have a sister. I have three sisters. Three sisters. Mm -hmm. And where are you in the rotation? Number two. Number two. Mm -hmm. And uh, growing up, so you had a dad from Hungary mm -hmm. and a mom from Switzerland. Switzerland. Mm -hmm. What language did you learn? Well, um, at first, the only common language that my parents had was German. Okay. Um, because my mom didn't know Hungarian, um, my dad didn't know, um, they, neither of them knew English. So my dad had some German growing up in school. Wow. So that was, so I grew up with German. Makes me think of Dimitri and Patria, mm -hmm. who both, Dimitri grew up speaking Russian, Patria grew up speaking Spanish, they get married and they speak English because it's the only common language they have. Yeah. So that was your parents, they were speaking yeah. German, yeah. so you were raised In to German. speak German. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you learn other languages other, um, other than yes. English? Yes, uh, I did. Um, when I became school age, especially, you know, grades two, three, four, five, um, I had to learn English okay. because we were in Canada yeah, and going okay. to school. Um, and then all through school, um, I also took French. Wow. And then later on, of course, I learned um, Nalu. The More on that later. That's a teaser for the second podcast. <laughs> okay, so, all right, so you were born to a father that got a bronze medal in the 1948 Olympics. Olympics. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you were born in Zurich, Switzerland. You moved to Ontario. You're hanging out with a bunch of boys that are swinging off of cliffs and diving into caves. Um, and so what was life like generally growing up from, you know, when you're there in Ontario, from there kind of up to the high school years? What was life like? Well, um, as I mentioned, my parents being immigrants uh, didn't have much money. So 
Um, our lives were very simple um, and we didn't have a lot of toys or anything like mm. that. And um, so um, essentially my life was just growing up um, being very physically fit. Mm -hmm. um, that was my dad's influence, yep. of course. Right. He was very physically fit and, um, and just free to roam around. Um, mm. Even later on when we moved to Princeton, New Jersey, mm -hmm. um, and I was 11 at the time, um, I, was, I had a bike and I was allowed to roam around anywhere. Wow. Uh, not only in Princeton, but in the whole environment. Um, no helicopter woods. parenting going on back no, in those days. No, not at yeah. all. In fact, um, they basically left me alone. Of course, I had chores to do, but after those were done, I was free to uh, go out and do things. What kind of what, give me a, give us a couple chores? Um, mow the lawn. Yeah. Um, do some painting, uh, restoration, repair work, yeah. and things. Oh, and I always would help my dad fix cars. No we kidding. We always had cars that were <laughs> on their last wheel. Yeah. And uh, so even if it was just to hold a light or grab some tools for him, yep. he always wanted me there. Um, not my older sister because she was not outdoorsy, yeah. but me. Okay. And so what were your parents like? They were good parents. In, uh, to a certain extent, they uh, taught us how to work hard, uh, how to love reading and writing and, mm -hmm. and um, gaining knowledge. Mm -hmm. And of course, the outdoors was important to them. We went on family hikes all the time okay. and, and, and things like that. Uh, we went sailing a lot. My dad was a great sailor too. He did it all. He's making, he's, he's fixing cars, he's downhill, downhill skiing, he's sailing. <laughs> yes. He's a mechanical engineer. Yes. My goodness. Yes. But the one thing that I realized later on in life, too, was that I think the component in their life that was really missing was the spiritual. Right. So that's what I was going to get to that question. So what were, what were their, did they have any beliefs about God? What, like what was, what was their sense towards God? Um, I think my dad did not, growing up in a communist country. Yep. He just adopted the philosophy as there is no God. Okay. And besides, he liked to go outside better than go to church or anything. Yep. My mom was a little bit more spiritually minded. Um, she would read all kinds of books on different religions and things. And they even tried going to church a couple times in Princeton, I remember. Um, but they were disillusioned. Um, they were not Bible-believing churches. Okay. Um, there was like a very liberal Presbyterian church. and um, This would have been in the 1960s. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And my mom made the observation of, oh, the women in the church, they're just there to show off their new dresses and their new hats mm. at, that, at yeah. that point. And so she said, I don't want any part of it. Uh, mm. So we didn't really go to church. Um, my mom tried to get us to go to a church or some kind of service at Christmas and Easter. Okay. Um, but my dad said, well, those are the times where we can, you know, go up to Stowe, Vermont and go skiing or something. That's uh, a long yeah, weekend yeah. and things, you know, so he didn't want any part of it. Yeah. You know. Okay. Well, you have gone from Zurich. You're speaking German. You're eventually trained in English. You've gone from Zurich over to Ontario. Down, you're at the age of 11. You move to Princeton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, your dad's a mechanical engineer. What's mom doing? Uh, she's a stay-at-home. Stay okay, good. She's taking care of uh, all four of you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you've learned English by the time you're in your teens, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. 
and uh, you're still there in Princeton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. When do you leave? Uh, to go to Indiana University. Okay, to go I, to school. Yeah. Okay, I graduated great. from Princeton High School. So you graduated from Princeton High School in Princeton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the neat thing there was um, I had started studying the violin at age 10. Great. In Princeton. My dad found a Hungarian violinist okay. to teach me. Wow. Which was fun. Um, and when I was in high school, um, I was able, I was chosen to play violin in the Princeton University Orchestra. Wow. Even though I was still in high school. No kidding. Which was kind of a big deal. Well, of course it's a big deal. You know, so what years would that have been? 1960 um, what? 1964 through 68. Yeah, and you graduated from high school in 1968? Yes. And you're playing with Princeton University's orchestra. orchestra. It, when you're in high school, though, the rest of them are in college. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And, well, the, the, I was kind of wild at that point, and so, uh, of course... Tell us, was, tell us a story about... Yeah, tell <laughs> us, how were you wild, Donna? It's hard to think of you as a wild person. Um, just, I thought that I had all the freedoms that I yeah. wanted, and so... I, I even was asked uh, to go out for dates by Princeton University guys. Yeah, when you were in high school. When I was in high school. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and my uh, my mom was kind of worried about me, but my dad, his philosophy was, well, you're only young once, so go out, Just live and it up, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you can you think of any story that would be fun for us to think about? It doesn't have yeah. to be immoral or anything, but just sort of you know something that like. You, you did that was kind of crazy, that like, I can't believe I did that. Yeah, uh, well, um, one of my boyfriends actually, who went to Princeton, um, actually lived near Princeton. So I used to bicycle over to his house, uh -huh. his parents were there, um, and he had a horse. And so we both used to get on this horse named mm -hmm. Pepper and, um, and just uh, gallop around Princeton and even go no into, kidding. You know, into... So, so, listeners, you can imagine Don I and her boyfriend. Do you remember her boy, your boyfriend's name? John B. <laughs> John B. So you got Don I and John B. riding on a horse around the grounds of Princeton University, just hanging out in 1968. <laughs> That's I fantastic. Tell you. Yeah. All right, I told you this would be an interesting conversation. Okay. So, all right. Well, then let's move on. So you graduate from Princeton High School in 1968, and you head off to college. You still don't know Jesus. At right. this point, right. Jesus does. Yeah. So, okay. So you go to Indiana University. Yes. Where is that? Bloomington, Indiana. Bloomington. What and part of the state is that in? Um, it's towards the southern um, okay. part. But the good thing, the reason I went to Indiana is because it has a very, very good school of music. Okay. And I had to audition to get in. Okay. It's the, called the Jacobs School of Music. Okay. And uh, it's known all over the world for the music. Okay. And so I was very pleased that I was accepted in. And Did you apply? It. You obviously applied. Applied and auditioned. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you, did you have to go out to Indiana to do this? Uh, actually, the audition was by um, tape. No kidding. Yeah. Audio. So you took this. So most of our listeners don't even know what that is. There's these things called cassette tapes, right. and you would press record, yes. and you played, and you sent the physical cassette tape out to Bloomington, right. Indiana. They listen to it. Yes. They contact you on a phone, right. which would have had a cord on it, yeah. and they call you up and say, "Come on over." Exactly. And they give you a scholarship. Yes, they did. Full scholarship? Uh, no. Okay, no. partial scholarship. Yes. Yeah, to go out and what was your major? Um, music and outdoor education. Okay, Which, outdoor, not yes. to be confused with indoor education. Right. 
Yeah. So it's it means taking kids into the outdoors and teaching them, you know, astronomy, geology. That's um, great. You know, so kind of using the, the elements and the water. That's what my wife did. I love yeah. the outdoors, as I said before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what was life like in Indiana University? Uh, I enjoyed it very much. Um, had a couple boyfriends. Um, yeah. And you had a lot of boyfriends, Donna. It sounded like you had a lot of people interested in you. I was the secretary of the um, outdoor um, club okay. at Indiana, and um, so and the president of that was my boyfriend. Okay. And so we'd plan all these was. wonderful spelunking, which is going yeah, into going into the caves. You've been doing skiing, that since you were a little kid. Yeah, skiing and hiking, of course, you know, and all kinds of uh, very interesting adventures. Yeah. Wow. Oh, canoeing and yeah. kayaking. Yeah. Now, this is a strange question, so just bear with me. But it's just sort of a fun thought. I'm trying to get this picture in my head. Do you remember you got from, in 1968, you went from Princeton out to Bloomington, Indiana <laughs> to go to school. You drove, presumably, or no, did you fly? Um, let me think. Uh, the first time, um, I think my dad drove me. Okay. Because I didn't have a car. Do you, um, do you remember what kind of car it was? Yeah, it that was, was my an question. An old station wagon, an a old, Chevrolet. Station. Chevy station wagon. Chevy, big. Yeah, big yeah. long station and wagon. And it always used to overheat. Did it we really? You'd have to stop because the thing was boiling. <laughs> <laughs> Did it have like the wood panel yeah. on the side? Did it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so great. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Don I has now traveled to Indiana University in her big wagon. Her dad has driven her. She's majoring in music and, and minoring in outdoor education. Double major. Double major. Double major. Yeah. yeah, and you're spending a lot of time dating guys, doing outdoor stuff. Yeah. You're studying, you're playing a lot of music, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's at, there's one particular summer though when life begins to change. Yeah. So before this time, I mean, try to think a little bit. This is before conversion. Mm-hmm. So are you having any thoughts about the Lord? I mean, you're outside a lot, right? Psalm 19 talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Are you looking at it going like, there must be a God? Or, or do you just not even think about God at all? I think I did. And I think because of especially uh, taking the kids outdoors and looking at the heavens mm. at night and mm-hmm. seeing the billions of stars and things. Um, I'm sure that I had in mind that there must be a God, yeah. but I didn't know anything yeah. about Him. Really. And you didn't really care, no. right? You were just living life however you pleased. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when I was um, living in Princeton, I think uh, for one or two summers, I went to vacation Bible school okay. for like a week or okay. five days or something. And so that gave me a little glimpse. Um, I heard the stories of Daniel and yep. Jonah and uh, Noah's Ark Noah's Ark and things. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought, oh, well, those are amazing stories, but I think they're just um, stories. I think they're, they're really not true. Yeah, they're just sort of fairy tales. This was yeah. a little way you took them. So that was the extent of it, really. Okay, so you go to a summer camp, mm-hmm. a music summer camp. That would have been, what year was that? What year of in, your freshman, uh, Well, I June, went sophomore? three summers, actually. Okay. Um, when I was um, still in, living in Princeton, it was for the summers. Um, 
My, my parents were having some marital problems at the time, mm -hmm. and so I think they just wanted to get rid of me uh, okay. um, for the summer. So okay. uh, two summers I went to, it was a music camp in Lake Placid, New York, okay. upstate New York. Beautiful. Another connection to Olympics. Yes, beautiful yeah. uh, area. You could only get to it by boat mm. and, uh, or hiking, and it was really, really beautiful. Um, but uh, one of these camps, uh -huh. you meet somebody. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which one of these? Which so? It was just one camp. Okay. Three times. You did the summers. same camp three times. I got you. Okay, in Lake Placid. Yes. All right, and so you meet a ha another. You've had a lot of boyfriends, don't I? Yes. But this one, he's the guy. Yes. Tell us about how that happened and what his name was. Well, his name was Rolf Engelbrecht, and when I. That summer, it was the third summer I was there, uh, when the boat came into the dock, mm -hmm. um, I heard somebody playing the violin. No kidding. And my best friend, girlfriend, yep. was also at that camp three summers. Yeah. I thought it was her playing. So, you're pu so the boat is the boat pulling, is pulling into, into the port. into the dock. Yep. And just above that, there's a kind of a you know a, a wooden cabin, yep. and someone was practicing up there. Dun, 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 dun. You're so, pulling in; it's all coming in. Yeah, so I hop off the boat and I yell up there. Don't see anybody, but I yell, "Who's that making all that awful noise?" <laughs> and I thought it was my girlfriend. <laughs> uh, you're a bit, you're being playful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it turns out. Turns out that Rolf comes out and he's got a big, he's laughing and he's uh, saying, well, it's me, who are you? <laughs> Man, did that work out easy for Rolf. I mean, you got to make the first word and literally he turns the corner. He's like, ooh, this girl's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. What a great story. So that's how you met. Yeah. The boat yeah. is pulling in at Lake Placid. You walk in there thinking it's your friend and you hear this music playing and you make a call out being playful and it turns out it's your future husband. Right. How about that? Yeah. So what was that like? What was um, like the kind of the, you know, that how did you how did your relationship go? How did you start dating? What was that like? Well, uh, we became really good friends that good. summer. Um, we were both cabin counselors at that point. Okay. Um, he was 17, I was 20. Okay. And uh, so uh, we'd get up like five o'clock in the morning and take out a canoe and go canoeing on Lake Placid. Five uh, o'clock in the morning to go canoeing? Yes. Yes, we had to be back. <laughs> we had to be back by seven to get yeah. the campers up and ready. Oh my goodness. This would have yeah. been, let's see, you're 20. This would have been 1970? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. 1970, there's you and Rolf out on Lake Placid at five o'clock in the morning canoeing together. Yes. And the lake was just like that. It was like glass. Like glass. Oh so my beautiful. goodness. And we went to some of the islands where there were raspberry bushes and yeah. just uh, picked raspberries and ate and, <laughs> and got to know each other. That's yeah. fantastic. So, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> that's a great story. Okay. So that's, so you got to know each other. You're canoeing well before. What, what time did you, like your work start as a... Um, seven o'clock because we had to get the campers up and okay. make sure that they, they so were younger than we were. You'd been awake for a couple hours. Okay. Yep. All right. So you meet Rolf mm -hmm. in 1970 mm -hmm. at summer camp. Mm -hmm. You're just friends, mm -hmm. right? 
Were you just friends when you were meeting each other for canoes? Um, you had to know something. This might lead to something a little more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I think he thought of it as more than friends. Yeah. At that point, yeah. um, I I liked him very much, but I thought of him just more as, as a friend. friend. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And were you playing together? Like oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. So you there saw a lot lots. of each other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There were lots of uh, chamber music things. That okay. We were so how did it move from friendship to courtship slash dating slash to marriage? Tell me how that happened. Well, um, at the end of the summer, we returned to our colleges. Um, he went to Yale University. Okay. And I was he on a music scholarship? Uh, no, he wasn't studying music. He okay. was studying computer science okay. at the time. Okay. And uh, I went back to Indiana. Wait and a minute. Computer science yeah. in 19... Early 1970s? Yes. And he was well ahead. He was yeah, ahead of the curve, they, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, they had the first gigantic computers. Yeah. And they had uh, things called cards that you had to... Uh, yeah. I, I don't understand the whole process. But, yeah, um, yeah he uh, he studied it back... EE, it was electrical engineering. Okay. Also. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so uh, we kept in touch through letters. Okay. Uh, for so uh, for all of you people below the age of 35, there's this stuff called paper, and there's these things called pens, and if you write on them, you can put them in an envelope and put a stamp on it, and it'll actually make it to somebody. It's after amazing. After a while. After a while. <laughs> <laughs> there's not, this is before the world of emails and text messaging. Okay. Yeah. So you're writing, each, you're writing letters to each other. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. And How then, long did that last? Um, well, uh, the next summer, I'll go on with my story, yeah, yeah. that'll answer that. Uh, the next summer I decided, um, uh, it was the summer of my um, junior year, okay. I had finished my junior year at yep. Indiana, and I was attracted by um, this poster that I saw uh, advertising uh, the National Outdoor Leadership School okay. in Wyoming, in oh, the wow. River Range uh, uh, Mountains in Wyoming. Um, and uh, what I wanted to go there for is to learn climbing, mm -hmm. mountain climbing, mm -hmm. and how to survive in the wilderness. Okay. There. And it was a six-week, no, six or eight-week okay. course uh, back then. And I decided, hey, uh, I'll do it. Uh, it was uh, it was a good course, yeah. um, headed up by Paul Petzold, who is one of the leading uh, mountain climbers of Switzerland. Okay. So I went there that summer and I thought, oh, if I finish this course, then I can become an assistant guide, an assistant mountain leader. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do that the next summer. The Lord had different plans for me, though. Okay. <laughs> now, was, was, was this, uh, when you're out in Wyoming, is this the bear story? Is that when that no. happened? No. When does that happen? Don't tell, me, don't tell me the story yet. Just when does it happen? Actually, that happened the summer before that. Oh, well, we're kind of there then. Yeah. All right. I forgot. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's okay. So for all of you listeners, that uh, this is one of the reasons we wanted to do this interview with you, Donai, is because Donai is a very humble, godly woman. She does not like doing things like this because she doesn't want to talk about herself because she doesn't want to be prideful. However, when you talk to Donai, just like I have learned two or three things this, this uh, afternoon, um, you find out these little stories that she has that are incredibly intriguing that as I kid with her, if these things would have happened to me, it would have been the first one of the first five things you knew about me. 
but these just, you have to kind of draw them out of Donai. So um, before we get to, uh, we're going to get to how you and Rolf got married and then you had children. We're going to get into that in just a minute. But before that, we're going to finish off the, this part one of the podcast with this bear story and then following by your marriage and family. So go ahead, tell us about the bear story. Sorry, it was the summer before this National Outdoor Leadership School. Okay. I went to Glacier Park yes. in Montana yep. and I worked there um, as a um, hotel maid um, yep. for the whole summer. Okay. But we did have days off. Sometimes we'd have a weekend, sometimes we'd have weekdays off. Um, and during those um, times, I always chose to go hiking. Yeah. Um, By yourself or did you have uh, other people with you? I usually had one or two others with me. This time, you all, it was only you though? No. It you was, had somebody else? I, uh, it was uh, my boyfriend at the time. This is another boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> boyfriend from Indiana. <laughs> oh, yes indeed. Oh, so good. Okay. So Scott and I had decided to hike all the way from Glacier Park to Waterton Park, which is like a glacier park in Canada. Okay. And that was Now they like call that Banff, don't Banff. they? Well, yeah. that Banff is the town. Okay, gotcha. It's still called Waterton Glacier gotcha. National Park. But um, It's a long hike. It's a long hike and it took it was going to take 2 to 3 days depending okay. on how quickly we could get over the mountains and stuff, okay. you know. So, uh, we set out and we had backpacks, uh, n we had no tent, but we had sleeping bags. Okay. And um, and warm clothing because at that altitude it was fairly Very cold. Uh, so yeah. so I was actually wearing wool socks in my hiking boots uh -huh. and jeans, and uh, we hiked. It was beautiful. Um, at at uh, when it became dark, um, we had things to eat that we could just eat. We didn't um, build a fire or anything, um, and we went to sleep just in our sleeping bags. Mm -hmm. In no the middle tips. of the night, yep. it was a full moon, so I was very aware of things. But in the middle of the night, I felt my leg being lifted up. <laughs> and I opened my eyes, and there's this black bear oh my staring God. down at me. <laughs> and he had your foot and, in yeah. his mouth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, it didn't hurt really badly because he had just nipped yep. the... the the skin. Yeah. He didn't chomp down yep. anything. Well, plus I had jeans, I had wool socks right. in my sleeping bag, right. you know, there. Uh, so the uh, I remembered that the um, the naturalists there, the rangers, the park rangers had said, if you see a bear, do not scream mm -hmm. because that will make them afraid and they mm -hmm. will, you know, bite down harder or something. So I didn't scream. I just kind of looked and um, <laughs> wiggled my sleeping bag very gently mm -hmm. uh, to try to get it out of his mouth. And um, and it did drop out of his mouth. Uh -huh. And he just looked at me and then wandered off. <laughs> <laughs> but I was... Did you wake up that, Scott? No, I didn't. You I didn't wake him up? No, no. I would have been the first thing I wanted to do. Like, Scott, wake up. I got a, my foot in a bear's mouth. I was kind of shaking for a while, but then I just went back to sleep. Oh my goodness, don't I? Yeah. And in the morning, <laughs> I told Scott about it, and he said, oh, sure, you're just pulling my leg. This whole <laughs> thing didn't happen. And sure enough, I pulled my sock off and showed him, and there were bite, bear bite, oh, yeah. bite marks on my leg. Wow. Yeah. I, can, I don't even know how you would have gone back to sleep. I could not have slept the rest of that night. <laughs> and, and I definitely would have woken up the person I was with. But anyway, well, Don, I, I'm sure that there's many other stories we can tell. That's fantastic. So let's move back to Rolf. If you I have some? Just yes. I had one funny thing. Yes. 
So Please. when we got to um, uh, to Glacier Wa Waterton National Park, we told the rangers about this, yep. and they said, well. Uh, bears don't usually come and just bite human beings unless they may have um, the rabies, you know. Uh -oh. And so we've got to give you the rabies shots, which would be seven shots in the stomach at that. At what? The, at that uh, age, at that time. time. You know? Seven shots in, in the, the stomach. stomach. Yeah. Well, I didn't like that um, idea. <laughs> I wouldn't think not. So Scott and I just sat down and called all the bear experts we could think of. Um, in, well, know, how did you call? Like, was there a payphone? Because there's no cell phones uh, back then. Yeah, it must have been a payphone. Or no, we were in the office of a ranger, okay. so we used his phone. Okay. You know, how did you know? Out. Where's bear experts? Um, like, they knew okay. the rangers again. They so knew. You call there was all one of them. in Washington State, Seattle. There was one in um, Colorado. Okay. And I think another one somewhere. And all those people said no bears get rabies. Um, ah. It's the smaller animals, skunks, oh, okay. raccoons, yeah. dogs, you know, yeah. that kind of thing, not bears. So I had to sign my life away for the park rangers because they didn't want me to die and then my parents sued them yeah. for the park ranger. Wow. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, nowadays you get like one little shot, right? A kid, yeah. I'm sure if I would have been told, yes, yeah, seven shots in the stomach, like I'd have been calling anybody to yeah. make me not have to do that. <laughs> Well, yeah. as much as I'd love to hang on, we need to kind of move on in the story here. Let's let's move back to Rolf, and uh, and so let's see how how did you come to get married? Well, I think the main story we're forgetting is how I came to the Lord. Well, of course, we're going to come to that. Yeah, yeah. but this this is happens while okay. Crucial. Yeah. Um, it was it happened while I was in this national outdoor okay. school. No, okay, it's, it's called. Good. Um, so I was climbing merrily up uh, a, 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 a steep cliff, um, not too high. It was probably maybe about 30, 40 feet high. Yeah. Um, but I fell, um, um, and we weren't roped up at the time because it wasn't a high climb. We were just um, trying to learn handholds okay. and things. And um, in falling, I fell directly on some rock, you know, just a yep. rock ledge. And um, then I thought, oh, and it hurt. And I thought, oh, I sprained my ankle. It's yeah. okay. You know, looked down and both of my feet were right ankles to, uh, to my uh, legs. Wow. Right ankles. Wow. So I had broken both of my ankles plus my wrist. Mm. And, um, and I, I thought about it. First, my first reaction was just, um, I was mad because I couldn't finish the course. Mm. I wanted to finish the course. <laughs> um, and so, to make a long story short, they did have to helicopter me out. Wow. And I was, for the rest of the summer, I was in uh, casts up to my, um, you know, up. Up your little, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. So you couldn't walk? No. Yeah. No. And um, I still managed from the hospital to borrow somebody's bike and I bicycled. With the casts? Yes. Much to the horror of the doctors. <laughs> I have no idea how that works, but we're running out of time. How did yeah. you come to know Jesus through this? So, looking back, I think the Lord really used that to show me that I was not invincible. Hmm. Because as I mentioned, and hmm. with my father like he was, I was very fit, mm -hmm. I was very athletic. I yep. also used to race and ski. And, and things like that. So I thought at that age, 
I was, uh, you know, at that age I was 21 or 22, um, that I could do anything and that nothing could get in the way of what I wanted to do. Mm. And the, I think the Lord had to literally break mm. my pride yeah. and my spirit in that sense mm. that, um, that I thought I was just great and yeah. I could do anything. Right, yeah. right, right. And I think um, before that, I would have just continued on in my prideful ways. Um, yeah. And so, um, so to this day, I am thankful that he used that. It's almost, it's, it reminds me of the story of Jacob wrestling with the Lord, right? He breaks his hip. So exactly. as the, right? Yeah. Exactly. So the Lord broke you literally so as to break your spirit and bring you to him. So how does, where does Jesus come in here? Not until some years later. Okay. Um, but it's, it's sort of begun there. Like you begin absolutely. to sort of recognize your own brokenness, mm -hmm. these kinds of things. Yeah. So how did you come to faith? Talk, talk to us. Well, that is another story, and, and that is when I graduated from Indiana. Okay. Uh, my last year was tough because half of it was when I was still in casts. Okay. And the only way I could get to classes was strap my violin on my back and ride my bike. With wow. your casts? Mm -hmm. I, st I still don't know and how that works. Crutches, but. My crutches were on the bike. Too, okay. You know? <laughs> so I managed to graduate on time. From Indiana, I had to play my senior recital sitting down, okay. whereas usually you stand. Yeah, right. But it worked out. Um, so after that, um, my right ankle still hadn't healed properly. Mm. And my mom, I went back to Princeton. My mom took me to all kinds of specialists. And they all said, well, the only thing we can do for you, unfortunately, is to fuse that right ankle. Well, bless my mom's heart, she was really stubborn in good ways. Um, she said, no, I don't accept that. My daughter's young, she's got her whole life ahead of her. Mm. So she called friends of hers in Switzerland and said, hey, um, this is the situation. Can you help us? Is there a doctor that could help her other than just fusing the ankle? And sure enough, right then, somebody said, yes, there is a doctor in Hamburg, Germany who has just started implanting artificial ankle joints. And it has not been approved. Um, the FDA in America has not approved it yet because it needs a certain screws and cement and stuff that hadn't been approved. Um, so I went to um, Hamburg by myself. I flew to Hamburg. Mm. Um, and I was the fifth person in the world to get this Get out New of town. Artificial ankle. The first young person. <laughs> the other, the other four were old people that yeah. wouldn't walk very long anymore. My goodness. So wow. I mean, get that for yes. the Lord. You the know, fifth person in the world to get this surgery on your ankle. The right ankle. Yeah. And I still, and and the surgeon there, um, which his name was Dr. Engelbrecht. By no the way. kidding. <laughs> no relation to, me, <laughs> to my husband. Yeah. But, uh, he said. This will be good for 10 to 15 years. And when you have children later on, you may have some trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, today I still have that same ankle. No kidding. No trouble for children. Dr. Engelbrecht did a fantastic job yes. on the future Don I Engelbrecht. Yes. Praise the Lord. Isn't that amazing? So how does, how, does, how does Jesus save you through this time? He's broken your spirit. You're recognizing, you're increasingly recognizing, I can't, I'm not invincible. I yes. am broken. Mm -hmm. 
How does the Lord use that to bring you to faith? Well, um, after my ankle operation in Hamburg, um, they wanted to keep me around um, for research purposes. Mm -hmm. They took uh, videos of my ankle and how the progression, how it could get better and mm -hmm. move better and all that. So I moved to Switzerland at that okay. point. Um, I was a Swiss citizen. So it was no problem. I got a job as a music teacher, violin teacher, okay. two Swiss schools. Okay. I knew the language, so it was no problem. Didn't need work papers, anything like that. Uh, so for three and a half years, I stayed in Switzerland and took the train uh, once in a while to Hamburg okay. so they could look at my ankle. Mm -hmm. And that is where I actually met, um, I was studying chamber music at the Conservatory of Music in Zurich. Mm -hmm. And I met this young lady my age um, who was from Norway, but her mom was um, uh, American. Mm -hmm. So she spoke Norwegian and English equally well and we became fast friends and she was a believer, a mm. believing Christian. And she was the What first, was her name? Uh, Anne Britt Sevig. Okay. okay. And, um, and she was the first uh, Christian that I know of that I met. Wow. And she shared, we became fast friends. We did everything together. You're in your early 20s at this point, mm -hmm. early 1970s. Yep. 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 Uh, by then it was 1972 through 75. Okay. Yep. And um, Anna Britt just told me about her family and, and um, asked me at one point, have you ever read the Bible? And I said, no, you know. And she said, well, here's mine. Why don't you read it and start, um, don't start at Genesis because although it's all true and it's all good, you might get bogged down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I said, okay. At that point, we, had, we both had a, a vacation break. It was Easter break. Okay. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So she went back to Norway, gave me her Bible. Was it in German? German no, Bible? No, it was in English. Actually. It was in English, okay. Yeah, it wouldn't have been German because she um, knows Norwegian. Okay. But anyway, so um, I read the book of John. Okay. And I had free time because I had vacation from teaching mm -hmm. and, um, and rehearsals and everything. And that book just led me straight to Jesus. Mm. And I just really pondered it and meditated upon mm. it and came back and read it several times. Wow. And it made such a huge impression on wow. me. And all the things that Jesus said about himself, um, I am the yeah. bread of life, mm -hmm. I am the, you know, the way, truth, and life, I am the yeah. living water. Yeah. You know, all these I am's um, made a huge impression on me. Wow. And I found my spirit just agreeing wow. with, with him. Wow. And just reading about uh, how he died, and, and I knew I was sinful. Mm. I, I did not need any convincing of that, yeah. you know, yeah. in my wild life. Yeah. And and um, it just uh, came, became so clear to me that I needed a Savior mm. and that Jesus was Was that answer. Yeah. Hallelujah. It was just and amazing. When, what, do you know, was that 1975, 74, was it? It was um, 74. 74. Easter 74. Wow. Yeah. So you're staring at how many years you've been a Christian, save one year. I was born in 1975. Mm -hmm. So there you go. This is how long you've been a Christian right here. Mm -hmm. uh, hallelujah. So just reading the book of John. Now I'm guessing you just, you testify to the I am's of Christ. Mm -hmm. You see he's paid the penalty for your sin. You've already acknowledged your own sin. You know that there's a, he, you know there's a God. You know that you've sinned against him. And that Jesus is that answer. You trust him after having read the book of John. Mm -hmm. After just a simple request to read the book of John mm -hmm. from this woman. Mm -hmm. 
and you read her life too. Yeah, you saw it. It matched. She invited me to her home in Norway, and okay. I saw the harmony in the home mm. as opposed to my parents going okay. through a divorce. So there was the there was the kind of the uh, what Jesus says in John, right? That they will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. You not only were reading it, but you were watching it. Yes. Yeah, so let that be a testimony for us all, right? Mm -hmm. Just the simple things. We tend to think it's so hard to evangelize, mm -hmm. right? You've got to know all of this information. Just ask somebody to read the Bible and then display your life mm -hmm. in front of them. Yes. And the Lord can use that. Yeah. My goodness, what a great story. And you were baptized at some point. Where were you baptized? Um, that wasn't until later when I returned to California. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, it was wonderful because when Anna Britt came back, um, she brought me to Bible studies um, of students um, of the University in Zurich. Okay. And they were in Swiss German. Okay. Um, but I understood it, of course. And yeah. I also started reading many books, C.S. Lewis yeah. and Halsby, O. Halsby, and other, you know, yeah. great Christian. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, and. Um, yeah, I can't remember. You got involved with other Christians. Mm -hmm. Was it a church or was it just like a it Bible study? It was the International Church of Zurich. Okay, great. Um, which I do believe had many believers in it, but it was not a really Bible preaching church, unfortunately. Okay. It was okay. international. Okay. You know. But there were some very fine Christians. But you understood the need to be part of the church. Yeah. Yeah, after yeah we you sang got saved. in the choir. Yeah, great. Well, praise the Lord. So now Donai is saved. But you're still talking to Rolf. Who is not saved. Who is not saved, right? <laughs> and so I'm sure as you're writing letters back across the ocean, right? Uh, ten page letters. Ten page letters. <laughs> and at some point you're saying, listen, I've met somebody and his name is Jesus. So how did that go? How did, how did you testify? How did you evangelize Rolf? Well, he came to visit me a few times uh, while he was studying. And... Um, and, you know, the first thing is, of course, I told him all oh. about uh, my excitement. I was so excited that right. now I was a believer, yep. you know, in Jesus and started telling him about it. But I think the rudest shock to him came when at nighttime when I refused to sleep with him. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, Rolf, I know. And he said, well, Donna, we've slept together for many times before. Yeah. All of a sudden you're saying no sleeping together. <laughs> and I explained to him, yeah. I said, I just don't believe that that's God's will for us until yeah. we're married. You know? Wow. And, and in the past, yes, I did it, but I didn't know, yeah. you know uh, what I do now. Was that used in a way to kind of jar him? I think it jarred him yeah. because otherwise he was very nice and said... So in his mind, yeah, it's sort of like, whatever, you want to add some Jesus, yeah, go for it. But Exactly. Yeah. And he saw that it made me a more caring person mm. for others, mm. other than just myself. Wow. But um, if it if he hadn't been jarred by that, I think he would have just kind of glossed over them. Praise the Lord. So your faithfulness to not sleep with Rolf... Uh, it jarred him into thinking more deeply, like this yeah. is going to have an impact on me. I got to think about it. this. Can't just be her thing. Yes. Yeah. And I must say, um, he he respected my wishes. Yeah. He did good. Not try to force himself. Good. Praise the Lord. So, how did he kind of come across the finish line, as it were? How did he come to faith? He was st studying at Stanford University in California at the time, and. Um, 
he started thinking about life and, and his life and everything. You're and sharing your faith with him, yes. I, I trust him many times. His big hang up, of course, was creation evolution. Okay. But I sent him many books of uh, very top scientists who also believe in creation. Okay. And you know, right. just to tell yep. him, look, you don't have to be a dummy. Right, because, right. Because you, know, you happen yep. to be a Christian. Um, so that helped him. And he saw a movie also called A Man for All Seasons. Okay. And he um, he thought about it and he said, you know, there's nothing in the world that I would die for mm. like this man mm. uh, Thomas Amore did, mm -hmm. um, you know, when he lost his head because uh, he told uh, Henry VIII he shouldn't be taking on another wife, you mm. know. Um, so that made a huge impression on him. And then um, the third thing was uh, also he went to church, Las Gatas Christian Church, a very large church, and he went to Sunday school. Um, no, it was an evening service, I think. And um, the one that led that class, that evening class, was a top scientist mm. in the Bay Area. Praise the Lord. So they got together and oh. hashed everything out, and, um, and Rolf came to faith. Because wow. that was the only thing that was really special. Yeah, I can imagine something like that happening here with the amount of scientists we have in our church. Yeah. yeah, so he starts going to church because he's peaked by you. He's peaked mm -hmm. by all these things. Mm -hmm. He shows up at a Sunday night service, not even a Sunday morning service. Right. And a scientist is yeah. teaching the Bible, and he shares the gospel with him, and Roth trusts in Jesus. And at that point, I'd come back from Switzerland, and I was playing in the Phoenix Symphony Orchestra. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, so he told me by phone uh, that he had become a Christian, and my first thought was, oh, sure. He's probably just saying that because he wants to marry me. Because <laughs> I had told him before that I don't feel we should get married, even though I really liked him yeah. um, because he was not a believer. Yeah. And I was at that point. You are full of convictions. Hallelujah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that is so encouraging. So, um, so, so I went to visit him on, on campus there, and yeah. um, I saw the change in his life. Yeah. So was he was born amazing. again, like you yes. saw he was born yes. again. Because yeah. I knew him very well yes. before, yeah. and I saw again that he started caring for others mm. other than himself. Yeah. He started um, wanting to praise the Lord yeah. for things, which he never did before. Yeah, yeah. hallelujah. So, That's so, such a fun story. Yeah, so after that, uh, we became engaged six months later, Okay. and we became married six months after that. Six months. What year? What, what was the date? 1976. Okay, nineteen June of twenty sixth, nineteen seventy six. So I was almost one. I was June the third, nineteen seventy five, is my birthday. So y'all were y'all were married about when I was one. Wow! Hallelujah! Well, wow. praise the Lord. So, all right. So now at this point of the story, uh, we have Donna is saved. She's in Christ. Rolf is saved. They got engaged. They got married. You're now back in the states. Uh, but I'm going to stop the story right there. And what we're going to do is we're going to pick up for part two. And, it, and listeners, I just want to let you know, the most fun, we have not, is all the stuff from bear attacks to riding bicycles with casts, all right? That is nothing in comparison to what's coming in part two of Donai's story. So it's so much fun, sister, to talk to you and hear God's grace in your life. So we're going to stop it now. And then part two, you're going to have to wait, guys, for a couple weeks to hear part two of the story. And what's going to happen is I'm going to pique your interest a little bit is now the now married Rolf and 
uh, Donai, children are going to come into the story and they're going to hop over the pond of the Atlantic Ocean again and going to do some stuff and eventually come back over the pond to then go into the middle of the pond of the Atlantic Ocean. Whew! All that's in front of us. Okay. Uh, Restoration Church, God bless you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Again, this podcast is here to inform and inspire. You've done that today for us, don't I? Uh, to inform and inspire us in the work of making disciples that delight in the supremacy of Christ. Uh, and so go invite somebody to read the book of John that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe they'll come to faith like Don I did. Uh, I doubt they'll be the fifth person to have some surgery on them in the history of the world. But nevertheless, who knows what it might turn out. So guys, go be courageous with somebody. Don, I thank you for exhorting us towards that end. So till next time, this is the Restoration Church Live podcast. Keep your eyes on Jesus, folks.